Welcome to the Gateway Scottsdale audio podcast. Thanks for joining us for this week's message. We pray God speaks to you through this message and through his word today. For more information about our church, please visit us at www.gatewayscottsdale.tv. Now, let's tune in for this week's message. Welcome to church. It is so good to be here. My name is Bernard Scott, and I am from uh, the Tampa Bay area in Florida. And I am really glad to be in your state, your city. Uh, it's a beautiful place, except you know, when I came here on Friday, it was 106 degrees when we landed. And I, I'm not going to tell you what it felt like because I've never been there, but I, I thought I was going to die, right? <laughs> I really thought I was going to die. Um, but uh, I, I, other than that, it's been great. I talked to Pastor Brad, and I was like, bro, it's hot here. Is there anything that you could do? And he's like, here, I, let me help you with that. And so thank you for o- ordering the cool weather. I appreciate it. God has, he does. I'm his favorite. He truly loves me. I know that's right. So um, I am really honored to, to be in this great house, uh, this great church, under such great leadership. Uh, I really value and appreciate your pastor. I've known him for a few years. I met him several years ago, um, and uh, of course, I went to Bible school with uh, Pastor Brad um, way back when, in the 90s, and uh, so it's really, it seems like it's such a long time ago, but I'm really honored to be here. You guys really have a great church and a great, great leadership here, and God has um, brought me here. I have something on my heart to share with you. And I'm excited to do that. But before I do that, I figured I would kind of introduce myself and let you know I've been married now for uh, 21 years uh, to my beautiful wife, the queen. I know everybody's like, 21 years? I know I look 28, but um, (laughs) we've been married 21 years. And uh, her name is Elizabeth. She's the queen. I see her standing back there in the back. Uh, Queen Elizabeth is what I call her. I definitely married up. I married out of my league. I outkicked my coverage. So um, she is amazing. All right, she's amazing. And um, we don't have any biological kids. Um, We actually, for 17 years of our marriage, literally the first six months after we got married, we took in our first young people and we would transition them into adulthood and whatnot. And so we had uh, a revolving door in our house for 17 years. And it's been, it's, it's been about 20, almost 20, I think it's 27 kids that have, young people that have been through our house. And so we call them our spiritual children. We've, now they're married and having kids. And one of our spiritual daughters, uh, she lives in Minnesota with her family, and uh, she had a son two years ago and named him after me. What? His name is Bernard. I want you to see this picture. He is so cute. Oh, my gosh. He's like, that is just yummy right there, right? <laughs> yummy. We got the same cheeks, you know. Bernard is absolutely my heart, his dream. And so um, we, we've enjoyed our, our life now. Um, I uh, grew up um, in ministry for the most part. Both my parents were Christians when I was born. And so uh, I knew God at a very early age. And I grew up in church. So I just wanted to kind of help you guys out, lay out some ground rules here before we get started. So uh, I grew up in a real exciting church, all right? It was, uh, I called it an entertaining church, the original BET, Black Entertainment Church. But anyways, um, <laughs> it was uh, interesting because when we would uh, get there, you know, there was always something that, that was going on to catch your attention, a lot of hollering and screaming and shouting and dancing, and the preacher would get up and preach, the Lord is my shepherd, and I shall, he makes me, right? And you go all that, and I'm like, yeah, yeah. 
You know, it's just awesome, right? And you just get into it. And, and so it was very entertaining. And people would get they, they would even do the announcements like that. Right? They'd get up and say, somebody left the lights on in their vehicle. And the license plate number is, right? And you're like, hmm. And one time, I'll never forget, we was traveling with an evangelist. And uh, this evangelist, uh, we, we got to this church, and it was in the south. It was in Alabama, and we were at this church, and this guy gets up, and he's doing an offering teaching, and he's going on and on. He's getting stirred up, and he's talking about when the enemy comes in, like a flood, the Lord will raise up a standard. I said, he'll raise up a standard, and he just kept going about this standard. And everybody's, yeah, and it's just working up into a frenzy, and the music starts, and the organ goes. You know something about to break off in here, right? So now all of a sudden, this guy gets up and he goes, why? And he starts running around the building. And then the evangelist that I was with joined him. He just jumped up and started running around with him. Get back to the seat. And the guy next to him goes, excuse me, what's a standard? <laughs> right? <laughs> They're just excited about whatever, right? So that's the kind of church I grew up in. So here are the rules. You can, you, can, you can amen this preacher. You can say, preach, preacher. That's all right. Go ahead. I like that. And if you don't like it, just look down. It'll be all right. Nobody just keep... Preaching, if I start talking about something that is about the person next to you, just go, you listening? Whatever. You just, just receive. We'll have, a, we'll have a really good time. But the church I grew up in, I couldn't necessarily, uh, it was very strict, and so we couldn't uh, do things. You couldn't watch movies, couldn't watch TV because it was a one-eyed demon. You know, you couldn't do all of that kind of stuff, right? And so all I could do when I was a kid was play church. I mean, that's that's all I could do. You go outside. You had to be careful what toys you played with because it might be demon-possessed, you know, stuff like that. So we played church. And so I would go home with time to play. I, great at entertaining myself. I lined up all my sister's dolls and stuffed animals and sat them in the congregation. And I'd be my, my preacher at my church. And I'd just start preaching to them. The Lord said, hallelujah. Come on, somebody, y'all are dead church. Y'all better wake up, right? Give me an amen, right? And so I'm just preaching on stuffed animals. And I'd, I'd move and I'd get a word from God for Curious George. <laughs> for George, yes, God loves you. And then I move down the line and get to Barbie and Ken. And I sense the Lord saying you're struggling in your marriage. <laughs> we need to get you. Get you whole again. Have you been baptized? Come on, let's go to the bathroom. We take him to the bathroom and <laughs> baptize him in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. That's how I was raised. It's interesting because, you know, those were such great times, you know. Um, I, I remember they, <laughs> being raised in a Christian home. In fact, when I was born, I, I, was, I was born with an afro. Which is, I know it's hard to believe now, but I had afro, big hair, a lot of hair when I was born. I had so much hair, the doctor thought I was a microphone when I was born. He's like, it's a boy, right? So anyways. <laughs> That's hilarious, right? So, <laughs> so, <laughs> oh, boy, God help me. Okay, keep moving. So I'm about to preach here in a second, I promise. It was really interesting because the enemy really did. Have, I was. A, I was. A, realized at a very young age that I was. A, I was a target. The enemy was trying to.
to destroy my life at a very young age. And so I went through a season, went through uh, some abuse in my life. And these were people that were in the church, people that are supposed to be saved, things like that. And so going through that abuse was very traumatic and things. And so the enemy began to lie. And with every traumatic event that happens in our life, there is an accompanying lie that comes with it. The enemy comes and begins to immediately take advantage of that situation and pounce on you and begin to make you believe things that are not true. And it begins to cause you to question your worthiness or question uh, who, your value and question who you really are. And so that's what began to happen. And so the word that I have today is based on just not only my life but uh, story, but our story. Because we all can share what I, uh, we can all connect with what I'm about to share with you. Because the enemy has a war on words. He's declared war on certain words. There are more words. There, there are certain words that the enemy fights against more than others uh, because he doesn't want you to receive what the true meaning of that word is. So he will distort it so you never receive what it's meant to be. Like love. He will totally twist, get love all twisted in your mind so that you never can truly authentic, uh, authentically experience true love of God. So you take all of these experiences and these relationships and all that, and he gets you to redefine it, but you miss out on what God really intended for it to be. Another word is grace. That's what he will attack. And so I'm going to talk about that today. I'm going to talk about amazing grace. But before I do that, I want to open up in a portion of Scripture, and I'm going to ask that everybody would stand with me as we honor God's word. I feel like in our country, uh, people stand for a lot of things, and why not stand for the word of God, right? The one thing that's willing to change us, that will change us. Revelations chapter 3, beginning in verse 14, it says, To the angel, divine messenger of the church in Laodicea, write, These are the words of the Amen, the trusted and faithful and true witness, the beginning and origin of God's creation. I know your deeds, that you are neither cold, invigorating, refreshing, nor hot, healing, therapeutic. I wish that you were cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm, spiritually useless, and neither hot nor cold, I will vomit you out of my mouth, rejecting you with disgust. Because you say I am rich and have prospered and grown wealthy and have need of nothing, and you do not know that you are wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked without hope and in great need. I counsel you to buy from me gold that has been heated red hot and refined by fire so that you may become truly rich. And white clothes representing righteousness to clothe yourself so that the shame of your nakedness will not be seen. And healing salve to put on your eyes so that you may see. Father God, we honor you today and we thank you for your word. And I ask Holy Spirit that you would grace my lips and give me the ability to communicate clearly the word that you've put in my spirit. And I pray that you would open our ears to hear, God, what your spirit is saying to your church. And may we have the grace to respond and apply so that we can become all that you've created us to be. In Jesus' name, and everybody said, amen. amen. You may be seated. So this word grace, and if you notice in this portion of Scripture in Revelation chapter 3, he's talking to the Laodicean church who obviously thought that they had everything. They were good. They, they had everything they needed. And they had so much of their need, they couldn't even see that how wretched they were. They couldn't even see what they were missing. Therefore, they couldn't even grab a hold of what God had uh, made available to them. And in verse 18, what was really interesting is he says, I counsel you to buy from me gold that has been heated, red hot, refined by the fire so that you may become truly rich, and white clothes representing righteousness uh, to clothe yourself so that the shame 
of your nakedness will not be seen. Buy clothes from me, Jesus is saying, buy clothes from me so that the shame of your nakedness cannot be seen. Now, what I thought was interesting about that is that he's saying there's nothing wrong with being naked. He said the shame of your nakedness. Buy clothes from me so that the shame of your nakedness. I was going to title this message, Get Naked. <laughs> but I thought that probably wouldn't be appropriate. We don't know each other like that yet. So, <laughs> amazing grace. And so it says, he says, so that the shame, by close to me, so that the shame of your nakedness will not be seen. Now, shame is a very powerful emotion. It's a very powerful feeling, shame. And it will drive us to do things that, are, uh, that will keep us from really experiencing the authentic us, these feelings of shame. In fact, when you ask, the, there's a poll that says, the, what are people's greatest fears? And the greatest fears, two of the greatest top fears that every human, that, that um, uh, when they polled people, two of the greatest fears, does anybody know what they are that people have? One, public speaking. Two, death. Those are the two fears that uh, are the most popular fears. And, <laughs> which is interesting to me because if you, when you go to a funeral, that means the average person sitting there at the funeral would rather be in the box than the one actually talking at the funeral. Right? And so when they asked these people why are they afraid of public speaking, the, the common answer became, it, it all connected to shame because they're afraid of being exposed in front of people that somehow when they get up there, maybe they'll, they'll get embarrassed. They'll have a booger in their nose or a zipper down or something crazy like that. And so they have all of these uh, things that happen, and so they don't want to be exposed because there's such a powerful feeling of shame that accompanies you if something goes wrong. So it hinders people from actually stepping out and becoming what God has asked or created them to become. This feeling of shame, when you look at this idea of nakedness, because he says, hey, God is definitely addressing and saying, if you buy clothes from me, the shame of your nakedness will not be seen. In Genesis chapter 2, after God was creating everything, he created the universe, all that stuff, he created Adam and Eve. And when he created them in Genesis chapter 2, verse 25, it says this, Adam and his wife were both naked and they felt no shame. They were both naked and they felt no shame. Well, what happened? How is it that, you know, in our mind, we can't even fathom that because somehow, you know, obviously something happened. And so we, to find out what happened, we have to go to Genesis chapter 3. Genesis chapter 3, um, verse 6, it says, when the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye, this is after the serpent came and began to talk to her, which is a whole other story. Uh, it says, and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband, who was with her, and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were open, and they realized that they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man, where are you? He answered, I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. And he said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? Now, what's really interesting about this portion of Scripture is that 
The enemy convinced her to eat of this tree that God said not to eat of. And the moment she eats of it, it says their eyes were open and they looked at each other and they saw that they were naked. Now, what was wrong with being naked? They were naked prior to eating of this tree. There'd never been any sin. They were in a perfect environment. So why all of a sudden when they eat, they feel exposed and they looked at each other with like, what's that? I don't know. We should cover that. And they begin to automatically think something was wrong with their nakedness. And so shame came on them. And then they had to figure out how to cover themselves. And so if you really think about it, because sometimes we read the story, we think it all just happened all within a few moments. You know, it's like, here, eat of this tree. They ate them, and their eyes were open. They're like, oh, oh, we're naked. Cover ourselves. And they just got some leaves covering themselves. And then God come walking, and they're like, oh, there's God. Let's hide. And we think that's all in one moment. But this took some time. The moment they ate of the tree, they were like, oh, no one had ever told them about sowing. Hey, maybe we can cover ourselves with a fig leaf. What's a fig leaf? Well, remember that tree that God said? Well, how do you sow? So they had to figure out how to cover themselves. Because then the scripture says that in the cool of the day that God showed up. Because he would normally come in the cool of the day. So that means that this must have happened some point in the heat of the day. And then sometime God shows up and then what they did is they immediately began to hide again. It says they hid behind some trees and God's calling for them. And they said, well, we're hiding because we were, we were naked. And God says, well, who told you that you were naked? Why is it that our story seems to always be about sin? We make this human life, this human relationship with Jesus Christ all about sin. And I'm here to propose to you that our story is not about sin. We seem to always orient our Christianity around sin rather than God's love. The gospel is not centered around sin, but it is truly centered around God's love. Why do I say that? Because the scripture is very clear when it says that Jesus died before the foundations of the world. Before he even created the world, he died for us. In, in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 18, it says, For you know that it was... Not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your ancestors. Verse 19, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect, he was chosen before the creation of the world, but was revealed in the last times for your sake. Through him you believe in God and who raised you from the dead and glorified him so that your faith and hope are in God. And then in Revelations 13, Verse 8 says this, and all the people who belong to this world worship the beast. They are the ones whose names were not written in the book of life. That belongs to the lamb who was slaughtered before the world was made. It, 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 we have to ask this question. When Jesus died, did, is it, was, it, was it sin or was it love? And if it was love, why do we center everything around sin? It's all about his love. In fact, he died before you ever sinned. And if he died before you ever sinned, that simply means it can't be about the sin. Jesus already had a solution for the sin. He's not as concerned about sin as we are. He's, God is more concerned about you being connected to your true identity and being connected to all that God has for you. But the enemy's trap is to get you so concerned about sin that you miss out on what God has for you. 
And so to prove this point from the very foundation of the world that God, the lamb was slain, I want you to see it in the Hebrew. Because what happened was uh, several years ago, for almost 12 years, I walked with a rabbi uh, that came from Israel. And uh, he got saved here in the States, moved to the mountains. And uh, we ran into each other. And he began to share with me. And man, he just the, the Holy Spirit just unlocked so much scripture to him. And he began to show me. Uh, and instruct me in, in some things in the scripture. And I want you to see the very first scripture in the Bible. Everybody knows it. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. So when you look at this, this is that first verse in the Bible. In the beginning. Of course, Hebrew is from right to left. So you have to start, start at the bottom, uh, far right, and work your way uh, to the left. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now, when you look at that first word, it's beginning, beginning. That first word, beginning, is the Hebrew word barashit, barashit, B-A-R-A-S-H-E-E-T. Another spelling for it is barashit, which is B-E-R-E-S-H-I-T. This word, barashit, means beginning. There's so much depth in this word, barashit, you have to break it down to define it. So bar, B-A-R, means a son. Bar means a son. So if you've heard the term bar mitzvah, that's, it means the son of, right? So son is bar. Ashit means I shall put, place, and appoint. So what God was saying from the very beginning, first verse of the Bible, in the beginning, I shall place, put, appoint a son. In the beginning, I shall establish a son. Right in the first verse, God would already had a plan to send his son who died for us, because, not because of our sin, but because of his love for us. God knew that there would be an enemy that would come against us to try to pull us away from him. And so when you begin to look at the Hebrew and actually break each of these letters down, there's one letter that's the first letter of the alphabet. And this letter is called the Aleph, and I want you to see it. It's circled here, and it's, uh, go back, go back one, well, to that uh, first one right there, yeah. So there's six of these in this first sentence, this letter, Aleph, all right? There's six of them. Uh, there's even a meaning behind that. Uh, I'm not going to get into that because that's not the point of my message right now. But uh, there's six. So you have to look at that. Now let's go to Aleph. This letter uh, is amazing. It's very powerful, this, this symbol, the symbology of this. Aleph, when you look at the uh, face, see where it says face, there's a hook there. That hook is called a yod, Y-O-D. And then if you look at the leg, there's a hook on the bottom. So there's a hook on the top, there's a hook on the bottom. They're both called a yod. And then where it says foot, that bar that kind of connects the two of them. Uh, this is literally uh, very interesting because that bar called the foot is the number six, which is called, uh, the, which is the number of man. And what's really interesting is that the upper hook or the upper yod, which that face is connected to the divine realm and the lower yod, which is that leg there, is connected to the earthly realm. Let's look at this. So it's divine realm, the earthly realm, the slant in the middle is holding the two realms together, which is Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ has a hand in heaven, 
and a hand reaching to earth, which is a very clear picture of God's grace. Not about sin, but about God's love saying, I want a relationship with my sons and daughters. And so even in your weakness, when you feel like you've done so wrong and so bad, Jesus is saying, look, I'm connected to the divine realm, the source of everything you need, the source of your love, the source of your hope, the source of your strength, the source of your life. Just stay connected to me. Don't let the enemy pull you away from who you really are. Stay connected to me. I'm hooked in heaven and you're hooked to me. We're going to make it. This word, when he says, I shall establish a son, grace sometimes is defined as a noun. God's unmerited favor. And yeah, I believe that grace is the favor of God. But I believe that it's not just an adjective, it is a noun. Grace is about powerlessness, not about sin. Grace is about powerlessness, not about sin. You say, well, how, how can you say it's about uh, powerlessness? Grace equals the power and the presence of God. What I can't do in my own strength, grace comes. What, what I feel like, because, you know, what sin does is sin covers this is what Adam and Eve did. Sin begins to cover up because there's shame attached to it. So we cover, we cover, we cover. But grace doesn't cover. Grace exposes who we really are. The centerpiece of the gospel is divine love, not sin. Love is expressed. It was totally expressed before we ever had a need for it. Love was expressed before we had a need for it. Grace is the solution for our powerlessness. You say, what? Why do we, when you think about it, Every time the effects of sin happen in our life, the reaction is because we fear no power. The reaction is that we feel powerless, and so we've got to make ourselves better, and I've got to do to be better, and I've got to do, and I've got to fix, and I've got to get myself to this perfect state and if I can get myself to this perfect state, then I can be used by God or God can accept me or God can love me and I can truly whatever. And we try to get to this perfect state. And I want to I offer a, uh, uh, an option to you. I want to I suggest something to you right now. And that is, when God created Adam and Eve, we would tend to think that they were perfect. They were perfect. But that's not what the scripture says. The scripture says that everything God created, he says it, it is good. He saw that everything he saw that he created was good. And this is what I suggest to you, that Adam and Eve were not maybe necessarily perfect in their nature, because if they were perfect in their nature, they would have never took of the fruit. I suggest to you that they were perfect in their dependence and their connection to God. There, there was a perfect union. There was a perfect connection. There was a, a perfect dependence. But the moment they ate of that tree of knowledge, their dependence transferred from God to knowledge. And that knowledge began to produce for them what they felt they needed, but it, what they needed was God, and that's where grace was available. But yet, they, instead of turning to God, they turned to a fig leaf. Instead of turning to God, they turned to hiding behind the trees because they had to cover themselves rather than receiving God's grace who would clothe them in righteousness. His grace would cover them so that their nakedness, the shame of their nakedness, would not be seen. And they would see themselves as God sees them because he loves them. 
John 15, 13 says, This greater love is no one than this, than he lay down his life for one's friends. Grace is the solution to our powerlessness. You know, power struggles happen all the time. Uh, and if grace is about the power of God in you to be what, he, what God created you to be, then we've got to understand that there are some power struggles in our life. Have you ever recognized in relationships that there's always um, power struggles? If you've raised kids, power struggle. It starts right around one and a half. These power struggles where our young people, they start to flex. They start to bow up like, I'm powerful. Change my diaper, yo. Wah! Right? The older they get, the more power they try to flex. My mom used to always remind me that she was more powerful than me. She said, I brought you into this world, and I will take you out. I don't care how big you get, I will stand on this chair and knock you out. That's what she told me. Those weren't life-giving words, but it kept me on the straight and narrow, I tell you that. I was scared of my mama, right? But we start to try to flex our, our power. And so even in, in, in dating relationships or marriage relationships, you, you kind of try to flex those muscles and there's, there's these power struggles. And depending on how you were raised or whatever, uh, me and my wife, I, I'll talk about our marriage because I don't know you. <laughs> and so... And so I remember when we first got married, um, she was raised in a house that everybody was passionate, real, real passionate. So everybody would, you know, uh, you know, even if they weren't mad at each other, it was just a high volume and you'd be like, man, I, I walked in, I thought, are they mad at each other? No, they're just having a conversation. I'm like, wow, that's intense. I was raised in a total opposite home, so, I, you know, everything was, you know, peaceful. My parents, if they had a dispute, they'd work it out behind closed doors. I never knew that there was anything going on, which I'm not going to say necessarily that was healthy because the first time that me and my wife came head to head, I didn't know how to solve the problem. And so my wife, she got all upset and was wanting to throw down, and it was her problem. I, I didn't have the problem, and I'll tell you why. She was, I'd gone to a, a, a party, and um, at the party, there happened to be this couple um, that she really liked and wanted to hang out with. And uh, when I came home, I was telling her about it. And, and she's like, they were there? And I'm like, yeah, they were there. Why, did you, uh, why didn't you? And I said, well, I told you about it and gave you the opportunity to come. You didn't want to come. And well, I didn't know they were going to be there, you know, that kind of thing. And then she just kept going and kept going. I'm like, you got issues, right? And so, <laughs> so I'm like, you know what? Um, I'm going to bed. While she was in the middle of, I just went to bed, pulled the covers over my head, and I'm going to sleep. <laughs> well, she came in the room, ripped the covers off. No, no, you ain't going to go to bed. We're going to talk about this. We're going to have this. Woo. I'm like, where's the woman I married? Who are you? So I get up and trying to have a reason why I, I just couldn't understand. My brain was just not computing what this was happening right now. And so finally, I just stopped her because she's trying to get me to fight, you know, flexing power. And I stopped her and I said, hey, I said, we, I grew up, there was none of this in my house. And we don't have to scream and yell to get something accomplished. We're not going to do this in my house. And she looked at me. Like, you ever see, you know, if you have a pet and, and you talk to a dog or something, and they're trying to understand what you're saying, they kind of tilt their head, they go, huh? You, you ever see, I'm not calling her a dog, but you know what I mean? It's like, it's like, huh? That's what she did. I kid you not. She tilted her head. She went, huh? What you mean we ain't got to yell and fight and scream? I said, no, we, we're not going to do that. You don't have to do that. 
So she's like, well, what are we going to do then? And she got frustrated because she's like, he's not going to fight with me. So she just walks out the house. And she thought, well, I'll go to manipulation. Maybe he'll come chasing after me because I'm special. I just went to bed. She walked out of the house at 2, 2.30 in the morning. I went to bed. And, and she's like, she realized after she got so far from the house, he's not coming after me. Power. So then she goes back into the house Pulls the covers off for me. Why didn't you come and get me? Now we're off to the races again. <laughs> Which is interesting because, you know, uh, I, I, I used to get chased by dogs all the time. And I have no idea. I, I don't know why. I don't know if it's because my name was Bernard. I don't know what it was. But they used to always come after me. And so uh, I, got, I would get bit and attacked all the time. And so I remember uh, one time I just got tired of it. I'm like, I'm tired of running. I'm tired of running. And this dog is coming after me, and I dropped down on my hands and knees because I had learned how to talk their language because I'm like, I got chased by them enough, so I said, I'm going to learn how to bark. And I dropped down on my hands and knees, and that dog's coming, I just start barking back. I'm barking at him. That dog stops and tilted his head, did that look. He gave me that. And I barked, he barked. But as I barked, he started backing up, that look. And I kept backing him up, and I finally stood up and started running, barking at him. Like, yeah, that's right, St. Bernard. <laughs> power. <clears throat> what do we do when we feel powerless? We react rather than respond. We react because fear sets in, the fear of being shamed, the fear of being exposed. And grace is about the power of God in you to be what God's created you to be. Grace is literally for the space that is without God in your life. Even as a Christian, there are spaces in your life that don't have God's grace because we're so busy looking at sin and we're so busy covering up certain things and we don't want people to see that. We don't want people to see that. We don't even want God to see it. And God says, look, don't hide behind sin. Let my grace expose your need because where my grace is, it's sufficient for you and I can be strong in your weakness. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 6. I close with this passage of Scripture. I'm going, to, I'm going to read from verse 8 because Paul is talking about this particular thorn in his flesh. And he says in verse 8, Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me. But he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weakness so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weakness, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Sin is about covering the parts without God in our life. And grace is about exposing our need to be clothed by Him. Sin is about covering. Grace is about exposing. Grace exposes the power of God that's been made available to you. Grace is about exposing who you truly and really are outside of the lies that the, accompanies the sin that's been happening in your life. The only condition to receive grace is that you must need it. If you're like the Laodicean church and fail to admit your need, you can never have this grace. But all it requires is a need because His grace is sufficient for you. Thanks for listening to this week's message. If you'd like to know more about Gateway Church, please visit our website at www dot gateway scottsdale dot tv